Um, everybody's a, a special guest. Um, right, Ms. Jane Ansel from Scotland is uh, one of our, uh, she's always been listening and it's so nice. I know that they're sure I listen to and then when I finally get a chance to go come there live, but she's been part of the Shir in its different incarnations for a long time, right? Shui, who just came in from America, just today, took a nap and is here, and, uh, and everybody else. Okay, so let me try to lay out what we're doing first, so that that will help me maybe stay on track. This week is Parshas Vayakel Shkolim, okay? We're starting the first of the four Parshas that lead up before Pesach. We start off with the extra reading of Shkolim from Parshas Kisisa. We're reading it at the end of Parshas Vayakel this week, and it tells about the donation of the Machzitz HaShekel for the building of the Mishkan. Usually, it's um, much earlier in the year, okay? So therefore, the piece I chose is from the Shem Yishmuel, actually on Mishpatim, because Vayakel, Shkolim came out Mishpatim then. Nonetheless, he ties it into Vayakel, just because he does. So we'll get to cover both those bases, connect those dots, and hopefully see some things that help us prepare for Purim as well. Okay, why prepare for Purim? Let's get started. A famous Gemara in Megillah that tells us, Amar Eish Lakish, Goloi v'yadua lifnei mi she'amar v'hoya ha'olam she'asid haman lishkal shkolim al Yisrael. If we flip back to our Megillah sester, we find that Haman gave Achashverosh a lot of money for the privilege of wiping out the Jewish people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees past, present, and future saw this in the offing, lefikoch hikdim shiklehem lishkalav. Hakadosh Baruch Hu preempted his shkalim with our shkalim by a lot of years, right? And therefore, he told us to take the shkalim. And aside from telling us to do it already in the time of the Mishkan, the time that we would announce the collection of the shkalim every year was in Adar, in the month of Adar, in the beginning of Adar. So it always precedes Purim. What does that mean? What is going on? Obviously, this donation is something special. Every donation, as we said in the past weeks, the Mishkan was not just physical engineering. It was not Lego. It was spiritual engineering. The donations also were not just donations of funds, but donations with spirit, right? Kol nediv lev, the giving of the heart. Now, the Machzis HaShekel is strange for a few reasons. Number one, it's one of the places in the Torah where there's a code word. Moshe is told by a Kodesh Baruch Hu, Zeh Yitnu, this is what they shall give. Now, we find a few places in the Torah where that word is used, and Rashi says this comes to teach us that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand. He needed help, he needed to be shown. We find it with the menorah, right? Zeh Maseh HaMenorah, this is the way menorah is made. Now, the menorah is a really complicated thing to make especially if you're making out of one piece of gold. The machzis shekel is a really easy thing to do. It doesn't have to be a coin with any particular face on it. It's a weight of silver. You take that piece of silver, you put it in the pot, you're done. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu have a hard time? And the response that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him when he said, Zeyitnu, so it says that he took out a matbea shel esh, a coin of fire, mitachat l'kisei kavod from under his throne, and he told Moshe Rabbeinu, Zeyitnu, this is what they're going to give. So, the Svasemis, many others explain what this represents is the following. This coin that I tell them to give, Moshe Rabbeinu was wondering, how can we create such a creation 
that will enable the Shekhinah to be present, almost tangible in this world for every Jew to connect to, just by giving some silver. Kodesh Baruch Hu showed him it's not just going to be silver. Behind that silver, and we spoke the other week that the very word kesef means desire, nichsof nichsafti, they are expressing the love that they have inside of themselves. They're expressing that powerful love. And that's what's going to bring the Mishkan alive. That's what's going to put it together. That's what's going to make it happen. Now, the Srasemis points out something very strange about this donation as well. It says, right, Hadal lo yamit, there's a lower threshold. The poor person has to give that half a shekel. But it also says, Ha'ashir lo yarbeh, a wealthy person can't give more. Right? Fundraisers are boggled by such a concept. Right? That's, uh, you, you can't give more than that. So the Sosemis explains that this actually provides an answer to a big theological question that the Rishonim already grappled with. When you have a mitzvah of love, you have a mitzvah involving love, Hashem commands you to love something. How can you? Love is not in my control. Right? For some weird reason, I always think of the example of nacho cheese Doritos, which are kosher in Israel for the people that are listening from <laughs> afar. Right? I don't like them. I don't like the way they look. I don't like the way they smell. I don't like anything about them. So if you would tell me, I command you to love nacho cheese Doritos, I can't. If you'll say, I will give you $1,000 to love nacho cheese Doritos, I have a machine here which can measure if you really love them, and they put it on, and I'm trying, I'm trying, I want the $1,000, I can't make myself love them. So how can we be commanded any of the mitzvahs of love, such as Avas Hashem? So there are different approaches in the Rishonim. The Sasemis' approach, connected to the Machzis HaShekel, he says you can be commanded to do that because you do. It's built into who we are. Each and every Jew has Avas Hashem built inside of them. It's there from the factory. Right? So what's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is to cultivate it and to reveal it, okay? Because he seems to be saying, he says that everybody has the same amount of Avas Hashem. Just like the Machzis HaShekel, everybody's giving that half shekel. Everybody loves Hashem exactly the same. Now he hears our question, come on, give me a break, right? How can that be? We know tremendous people, right, who seem to be on fire with the love of Hashem. So he says, imagine something like a light, a light bulb in our terms. One light bulb is fresh out of the package and it's shining brightly, heavy wattage. Another light bulb has dust on it, has some dead bugs on it, has a ratty old lampshade on top of it that also has dust and bugs over the lampshade. It's got the same wattage as that other bulb, but it's not shining so bright. He says that's why we experience the difference, but inside we all have it. And that is the Matbeah Shalesh, that is what built the Mishkan. Okay, so this gets us into the general topic. We'll have to see why that was such a protection against those shkalim that Haman gave. Now let's get to the Shemishmo. A little bit of complicated stuff at the beginning, okay, but hold on. The Gemara, the Talmud Yushalmi, says that there are two opinions as to which people had to give the Machzit shekel. One said, called the Avar Biyoma Itain. Only people that went through Yamsuf. If you went through Yamsuf, you give the Machzis a shekel. Chad Omar, the other opinion said, called the Ovar al Minyona. Only those who were counted together with Am Yisrael. Now, what would be the difference between the two? 
So what the Mepharshim say is Shevet Levi. Okay, Shevet Levi, later on when we see the Torah counts B'nai Yisrael, Shevet Levi is always counted separately. Okay, so if it's called the Ovar B'yama, if it's everybody who went through the splitting of the sea, so that'll include everyone, Shevet Levi as well, etc. If it's called the Ovar Al Apkudim, if it's only those who are counted, so then it will be just them. Now, Tosus, he brings a Menachos, says that there were actually differences between how the Machzi Sasheke would be given. If you look at the complicated Rashi in the beginning of Kisisa, you see that there were three Machzi Sasheke which were actually given. That's why on the night of Purim, where there's this custom to give three symbolic Machzi Sasheke, half coins of the currency in your area. Some Svartim give actually the weight of silver. You do three. So he says like this, Tosu said that for korbonos, okay, part of the machzis hashekel was used for the korbonos of the tzibur that were given on behalf of all of Am Yisrael. That came from everybody who went through the ocean. La'adonim, but for the silver sockets that formed the basis of the mishkan, that held up the boards, that was only kolda over al minyona. Okay. It's interesting. What could it mean? What's the difference between the two? So he says like this. He says, Karbonos, the concept of a korban, and Bli Neder, when we hit Parshas Vayikra, which is coming soon, I really want to explain a bit more. I found the Sefer recently that helped me approach Karbonos a little better. I've always been searching for something that enables me to do that. He says, the ikr with a korban is the idea of shvirat alev, of a broken heart. Okay, now let's, let's fix that term a bit. The English term broken heart implies something that the Hebrew term shvirat alev doesn't. Okay, you can think about all these old Western songs, you know, country songs about people broken heart because somebody stole their pickup truck or something, and it's sad, and, and they're broken, and they're depressed. Um, so that is... One form of shvirat alev. The shvirat alev, which is connected to korbanot, is actually an idea of, so to speak, opening up the heart. Opening up the heart, releasing all of the yearning in the heart, all of the, it's true, sometimes pain which is there, sometimes regret, but it's all towards a positive direction of wanting to connect to something. It's a powerful story about, uh, I think it was actually Karliner Chassid in the concentration camps, that um, he knew somehow that his group were slated for execution the next day, and the next day was going to be the first day of Sukkot. And he kept telling people, I'm going to bring Arba Minim this year. People thought that he'd lost it. And he finally explained, he says, you're forgetting what Chazal said. Chazal said the Hadassim are like the eyes, they resemble eyes. The Aravos represent the mouth. The Lulav represents the spine. And the Esrug represents the heart. He said, that's the Arba Minim I'm going to bring this year. And he said, and if you'll tell me, your Esrug is puzzle. Your Esrug is no good because it's broken. Your heart is broken. He quoted a saying that they say, Ein davar shalem kamo lev yudi shavor. There's nothing as whole as a broken Jewish heart. He said, and that's the esrog I'm going to bring. 
Okay, so it's hard to wrap our heads around. It's important to understand. The Lev Shavur is certainly not despair. It's certainly not depression. It's certainly not any of those things. Okay, this is the Iker with the Korban. The Pasuk says in Tehillim, Zovech Elokim Ruach Nishbara. Right? Zevach Elokim Ruach Nishbara. The broken spirit is that Korban to Hashem. A Korban, again, is going from this process of Yesh to Ayin of recognizing where everything comes from, what things should be, and that process is the Iker of the Korban. Okay, so therefore, it makes sense that the donations for the Korbanos would come from those who went through the Yam, who went through the sea. What happened at that process? At that process, they were put in a, an impossible situation. Enemies there, the Yam there, and... It says in Shir Hashirim that it applies the Posuk, Chazal applied the Posuk, Hashmi'ini et Kolech, Harinet Maraich, Shashmi'ini et Kolech. Let me see who you are. Let me hear your voice. And that voice was the recognition that there is no place to turn to but Hashem. And the remembering that Hashem is behind all things. Therefore, the people who went through that process have that Shivron Lev have the power that's supposed to be imbued in korbanot, and therefore the shkalim, the chatzish shkalim that were for the korbanot came from them. Okay? That is what we had. On the other hand, to build a mishkan takes guts. That's a really bold thing to do, to build a mishkan. He says, these are his words, he says, he says, uh, to build a mishkan Right? David Amelch said, or Shlomo Amelch, I'm sorry, said, Hashem is not contained by anything in the universe. So how in the world are we going to make some type of physical construct where Hashem's presence is there and tangible? He says, You need a certain amount of Hagasat Da'at, that I was called like, Mule-headedness. I prefer to use mule as opposed to another animal, right? The, just to, to be this kind of stubbornness and a tremendous sense of hagbahata lev, almost not arrogance, but spirit, morale, courage. I can do this. He says, the Zara Kurish says, Yikhuli Truman, the beginning of that um, request for the donations, Hashem says, Otiatem Lokhim. V'yikhuli, right? It's a funny word to use for a donation. You should say v'yitnuli. He says v'yikhuli means you are acquiring me through this process. For human beings to do that needs a tremendous amount of azut. It needs a certain boldness which is there. Okay, so therefore the adanim, which were the very foundation of the mishkan, which were made out of this kesef, he says the reason that we were able to have that push, that guts to do that, is because it comes from tremendous love that we have inside of ourselves. The power of Ahava, the power of wanting to connect, wanting the Dvekus Vashem, enables us to do what seems impossible. And that pushes us and gives us the ability to overcome voices that tell us that perhaps we wouldn't be able to do so. And he says, you have to start off 
every project that way. Okay, there are different things. I'll tell you quickly a beautiful Svasemis from Kisisa that we didn't go into. Chazal say about the giving of the second luchos that we see there, Godol Hatznius. Right? The doing things quietly in a hidden way. That's excellent. That's the way to go. Simple proof. If you look at the first version of the giving of the Torah, wow, special effects, thunder, lightning, smoke, all these things, the whole world heard about it. And that one turned out to be a failure. Those luchot broke. Okay, but the second one, quiet. Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the mountain, came down 40 days later with some luchos, no shaking, no smoking, no exploding, none of that. And those ones remained. So the Svasema said, wait a second, wait a second. Who planned the party for the first luchos? That was HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as we said, knows past, present, and future. So... Are we criticizing him? That he set it up wrong? What, why would it be? So he explained that beginnings have to be that way. It had to start that way. Even though it wouldn't be able to last, the second luchas, the continuation, which was done, Betzina, can't exist and survive without the initial bang, so to speak, which is there at the beginning. And that applies to so many things in life. Right, uh, I use a, a very simple muscle. I can't say close to my heart, probably closer to my stomach. If you want to make a barbecue and grill something. Okay, so kids are always excited about the beginning of a barbecue because you light it up and there's flames and if you can spritz some lighter fluid on there or something, there's bigger flames. But you want to put your hot dogs on there and the person says, no, no, no. You can't put them on there now. Right, they're going to get all burnt and half raw and smell like petroleum. You have to wait until the coals die down and you see no flames. Right? They'll be quiet. That's when you can cook. You'll cook slowly and well and the things will cook. So that's the way things go. Perhaps another image could be the idea of marriage. Right? We do weddings with a lot of energy, with a lot of splash. Right? And again, it's not mandated. You can do a nice quiet wedding as well. But even the small one, we want sasan, simcha, all the good things. And you can imagine some cynical guy sitting at a table during the wedding while people are dancing around and the chassan comes, you know, thank you for coming to my wedding. He says, yeah, you know, I used to be like you also, you know, all jumping up and down and happy and all these things. Give it a few years, you'll be like me also. You know, it's like, why, why do you bother, right? But it has to begin that way. It has to begin that way. With that momentum, with that excitement, that is how it has to go, okay? So therefore, he says, that was very necessary in the building of the Mishkan. Now, we have to factor in also the extra need for this azut diktusha, this holy boldness. Cheta Egel. Cheta Egel was a very disheartening thing. If you imagine that a tremendous experiment started from Avram Avinu and Yitzhak and Yaakov and the Shvatim and going down to Mitzrayim and the entire process, and the miracles, and coming out, and Kriyas Yamsuf, all for this purpose, right, that was, Moshe Rabbeinu was told, and the most significant event in the world happened, and they received the Torah, and then, which Chazal used a very graphic image to describe the shame of it. It's It's like a kala who was... Uh, disloyal to her husband at the wedding. Okay, this um, 
This is a very shameful thing. So after that, how can a person believe in themselves if in the beginning a person can say, my love of Hashem is so strong, I can build a mishkan and I can make that connection in this world. I can do it. After anything, I can't do anything. I don't deserve to do anything. I can't imagine that he would want to be hanging out with me in the Mishkan. And the spirits are so low. It says that's why we find in Vayakel the descriptions of the people who brought and gave and did different crafts to build the Mishkan. The expression of Nesiyah's slave, their heart lifted up. Right? People, that their hearts lifted them up. And here I want to take a break in the Shemesh Mul for a second for a parish that I love because it answered something that puzzled me for a long, long time. In Parshat Vayakel it tells us, Part of what was used in the construction of the Mishkan was goat hair. Goat hair. Okay, they would dye them red. Now, it says that the women whose heart lifted them up with wisdom. It's a very interesting expression, right? It's more than a previous pasuk that described the women who just spun thread. It says, Tavu Esoizim, they spun the goats. That's a strange expression. I should say they spun the hair of the goats or the goat threads or the, something. What does it mean to spin the goats? So the Gemara Masech Shabbos said that they did a very unique chachma. Shatuf ba'izim, v'tavah ba'izim. They would shampoo the goats, a bit of conditioner, right, a blow dry, and then they would somehow be spinning these threads while on the goats. Okay, now, what came to my mind, I mean, years and years and years ago, I was like, why? <laughs> why, why do that? You know, I mean, it, it might be interesting as an extreme sport of some kind, but, but why do it? I had a couple of interactions with goats in my life. We know that goats are, the word ez also corresponds to that midah of azus, of boldness, of chutzpah. And um, that's them. I once saw somebody trying to get a goat into a car in Tzfat, and it was not easy. Goats are not easy customers, right? So these people trying to do this work on the goat, what and why? So I looked in the Mepharsh, we find different things, you know, could be it was shinier when it's, uh, you know, done that way. Here I found a quote from a Sefer, Naruga Sabosim, was of Moshe Greenwald of Chust, back in Hungary. He says the following. He says, obviously, every item of the Mishkan, as we said, had to be imbued with a power, with a special power. Okay, and the goat, as we said, represents this idea of boldness. Now, after Cheta Egel, the men were so particularly ashamed, especially the men, because let's back up and remember that the women did not participate in Cheta Egel. They didn't pitch in. If anybody listened to the story from last week, I mentioned this amazing chasm sofa, but if you didn't, let me just say it again. He said, how were the women protected from getting swept up in the Cheta Egel thing? So... Part of the problem with Cheta Egel is not just they did Cheta Egel, but the Svarno says, Moshe Rabbeinu came down and he saw them dancing. Right? He says, for a person to sin, we can maybe rehabilitate. If they're dancing, there's no way they can have these luchos. And that's when he brought the luchos. He saw the Egel v'mucholos. He saw the dancing. So the Chasim Sofer says, when we look after Kriyas Yamsuf, we see that the men sang, 
The women had drums or tambourines, right? Some kind of fancy percussion. They did more than the men. If you dance more at the time when you're supposed to be happy and thankful, that protects you from dancing in the wrong times, in the wrong places, from the wrong motivations. Be it as it may, they did not participate. And it also tells us in this parsha a strange thing. When it talks about bringing dona donations, it says, Vayavihu ha'anashim al-hanashim. The men brought their donations on the women. A very strange phrase. Many approaches in the Rishonim as to how to explain what that means. Right? Some say with more strength. Right? The Svasema says because they were bali tshuva. They had more energy. Right, coming, they had discovered in themselves when they went so wild and crazy over the eagle, they said, okay, now that we discovered how wild and crazy we can be, we're going to be like that for the Mishkan. The women who didn't sin brought their donations normally. But others say that the men needed the support of the women. Okay, because uh, let, let's just play it out a second, right? If we step before Cheta Egel, right, this panting, sweaty husband bursts into the tent. He says, I need your jewelry. She's like, why, what? No, it's like uh, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't come down on time. We're really stuck. Aaron said, we're going to make something out of gold, and that'll help us. Out of, we need something. And she says, this doesn't sound good to me. Right? Keep your hands off my jewelry. Right? And um, that was what was going on then. Cheta Egel came, and it did not end up well. And now the husband comes to his wife again and says, um... We, we got something else <laughs> going down now. It's, um, we need gold. We need, uh, you still have your jewelry, as I remember. Um, <laughs> can we, like, bring it now for the, uh, this, this Mishkan thing? Right? This could be an opportunity to really rub his nose in it. Right? Instead, they provided them with the azos. They provided them with the fact. It's true, you messed up. You mess up often, but you get on your feet, and you can do it, and I believe in you. And you can, and we're going to do this. And that was how they made it happen. And this was what they put into those goats' hairs. He says they wanted the live essence of the goat to go into those threads. All the azus possible should go in there and transmit that for Am Yisrael because that's so important to have in order to be able to move on after something has gone wrong. Okay, so... Now that we have this picture of why we used the ones that came from people who went through the ocean for karbonos, and why the other ones for the karbonos, uh, the other ones for the adanim, so we see how this has to do if we map it out in our Vodas Hashem. He says, if you come into a point where you feel despair, where you feel hopeless, where you feel that you've messed up, he says, you have to remember, you were counted. That counting does a very powerful thing. There's a principle in halacha, right? sometimes we have problems in our kitchens with things falling into something else, and sometimes something can be considered to be subsumed in the greater thing, you know, a tiny drop of milk into a huge pot of chicken soup or such. But if you have an item that's usually counted when you sell it, Right? It's bought by the number. That's never bottle. So it is with a human being. When Hashem counts us, when He said, you bring your machzit shekel to be counted, that means every single one of you is important. 
and always is important. And there's nothing like that to give the person the strength to rise up and to continue on. You have not become bottle. And he says, therefore, a person has to start if you're in such a situation. You've got a past. You've messed up. You want to do something positive now. He says, do not start working on going back to your past, regretting the crying, etc. He says, what you have to do is to go You go into it with all the strength. That's not the time to be putting yourself down. And even the Shvirah which can be possible, that's not the time. Only after, he says, you've got used to it, Tam, Tam Havoda, you sense, I can do this. I can accomplish this. And it's wonderful. Then you can go back and you can take a look at what you've done wrong and approach it with that broken heart and work to return. So he says, this is even for a person who's doing tshuva who did many, many things that were wrong. He says, don't start by bitterness. Don't start by sadness. And again, when we talk about, about Balchuva, let me just give a little editorial comment. Rosh Hashiva never liked this term, Balchuva. He says, it's applied to people it should not apply to. Right? He says, in general, it's applied to people who didn't know much about Torah and mitzvahs and learned about it later in life. That term, Balchuva, is not appropriate because it implies this person was a big sinner, right? And now, right, he's coming to repent says, no, he would prefer the term late starter. Doesn't look so good in the personal ads, right? Late starter wants to meet. Early starter, later starter, I don't know what he wants to meet. Okay, but that's, that's what we're dealing with. Balchuva is more like me who probably said Lashon Hari yesterday and should be working on that today because yesterday I knew I shouldn't be speaking Lashon Hara, right? And I should be working on that. So he says the pathway of tshuva first is to go and to do, right? With Ava and Dveikus, that you're able to do things, to know that you can do things. Don't think about the past at all. He says, don't look at that. Later on, when you've built your strength, when you've built your identity, where you've built your confidence, then you can look and you can deal with those things. Okay. Now let's get to Purim. Let's see how this connects into Purim. The Jewish people at the time of Ahasuerus were in a state of despair. And it's easy to understand why. If you read in Masechus Megillah the backstory of what's going on in the Megillah, a lot of it centered around the prophecy that the Jews would return to Israel after 70 years. Okay? A long piece in Masechet Megillah goes through the world of calculations. The nations were aware of this prophecy. Belshazzar, a predecessor of Ahasuerus, counted and he thought he counted 70 years. That night he took out the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash and he drank from them and he died that night. Okay, so that didn't work out well. Because the problem with 70 years is you got to know where you're starting from. 70 years from when. So the Gemara goes through Ahasuerus' cheshman. And he went extra, extra, extra till he was sure, sure, sure 70 years passed. And this was the party that went on. You see many images that resemble almost the Beis Hamikdash when you see the descriptions of the colors and the items that were there. And he took out the kelim of the Beis Hamikdash. They say even wore the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. And one of the theories in the Megillah, in Masechah's Megillah, when it's asked, why did the Jews deserve this persecution? One of the theories was, 
because they enjoyed that Suda. Now again, as I'll say, kosher food was provided, different things. Once you go, why shouldn't you enjoy it? This Suda is celebrating the end of your hope. This Suda is announcing your prophecy didn't happen. Here I am, messing around with the Kalim of the base Amigdash. Nothing's happening. It's over. It's never going to return. Compounded with that, you have Haman entering the government. So the despair was terrible. He says they were in a state of yush. Okay, so it's very hard. When a person despairs, then you're able to enjoy things. In other words, whatever, nothing matters anymore. Why not? The food's good. Right? It's just, it doesn't contradict any of your essential dreams or plans because you don't have any anymore. All you have is the here and now. So this was what was happening then. Haman tapped into this. Chazal said nobody knew how to say Lashon Har as well as Haman. He starts off his proposal to Ahasuerus, Yeshno Am Echod. There is this one nation, but the word Yeshno can be read as Yashnu. Yashnu mina mitzvot. They've gone to sleep from the mitzvot. Okay, now, Hashem Shmuel says that doesn't mean they weren't doing the mitzvot, but it was barely alive. It was like sleep, right? There was a, only a tiny bit of life force that went into that. Okay, so this was the state that they were in. Therefore, Haman felt that he could defeat them at this point. He felt that the only identity the Jewish people have is when they're strong, when they're proud, when they feel their strength, then you can't mess with them. But this shattered wreck of a Jewish people here, he told Achashosh, we can take them with one hand tied behind our back. It's no problem. And those were the shkalim that he gave. Okay? Now, he said Haman wasn't a fool. Right? He didn't think he could defeat Hashem, but he actually felt that looking at it from Hashem's point of view, these people are a bunch of losers. Okay, a theme that has repeated itself from other religions throughout history. Right? These people are losers. It's time to forget this whole chosen people thing. Didn't work out. Right? Let the rest of the nations right, deal with Hashem and do what Hashem does. No more of this exclusive thing. Those people were gone. He said this was the mistake. He said thinking that the Jew and his identity is only tied on him being that powerful happy, optimistic Jew that you see. He says, it's true, that is part of us and part of who we are and necessary for who we are. But nonetheless, we also have a nature that we're nichnaim. We have a submission before Hashem. It says in the Pasuk, Hashem says, I don't love you because you're so many. It says, Ki atem hama'at because you are fewer than all nations. I mean fewer than all nations. I don't know if we're less than the population of Micronesia or something like that. It means, Chazal said, you have that idea of humility. Okay, but this is not towards other nations, toward other cultures. This is only towards Hashem. It's actually a strength when it comes that we have this submissiveness toward Hashem. And that's a strength that Haman didn't know about. That in such a time, that is particularly when the heart is broken and it can be turned into the Lev Shavur in the right way. And you can turn to Hashem just like they did at Yamsuf where the situation seemed impossible 
And then you have a tremendous source of strength that Haman never knew about. Okay, that's what that other shekel represented. Okay, so this is why they were able to do it. Now you say, wait a second, but you said they despaired. You said they enjoyed the Suda. But he says, once you see that that decree came out, it turned around. It turned around and it woke up something in them and suddenly they were fasting and praying and doing tshuva with tremendous power. It did wake up the power of that sleeping lion of the Jew who can turn his down into a tremendous up by submission to Hashem. And then the koch of Hashem fills him in a way that makes him invincible. That's the combination of the submissiveness and the boldness that's there inside the Jew. Okay, so this is a power we have. He says, we find it sometime in Jews who are very far. And Chazal phrased it, they say, O Yehudi, O Tzaluv. That a Jew, sometimes who's not very knowledgeable, not very observant, who says, are you going to burn me at the stake? Otherwise, I have to abandon Judaism. I have to become a Christian. Light it up. There's a story about Rabbi Sol of Rizhin. The Rizhner Hasidus is known for being very what they call malchustic, very royal in their approach. He had a particular reason for this. Part of it was for the Jews in Gullis to remind them that you descend from the royalty of royalties in the world. Just the fact that you're in exile and these things, don't forget who you are. This Chazal say, Yehudim b'nei Melochim So the Rizhner shuls always built up very nicely and they had very royal decorum. Now, there were other approaches in the world of Hasidus. Right? Uh, I daven often, Shul of Karlin or Hasidim, and they, from the time of the first Rebbe, the Baron of Karlin, they scream. They scream. And you'll ask them, wait, doesn't it say in this safer or that safer or something? You don't scream. Two answers. Number one, when the house is on fire, you scream. Number two, if you're screaming, you're probably not sleeping. Okay, so those, so they, so they scream. Now, there was a Talmud of the second Rebbe in the chain was a Talmud of Rebbe Rebbe Shlomo Karliner, and he had a Talmud called Rebbe Uri Misterlisk. They used to call him the Saraf Misterlisk, like the burning angel from Sterlisk. And in Sterlisk, that idea of davening loud, right, and strong was taken to the highest levels. They really did it. When Rebbe Uri passed away, so what would happen then sometime was different Hasidim would take the opportunity to visit different Rebbe's in the generation and see what and where they connected to. So some Hasidim of Sterlis came to Rizhin for Shabbos. They went in to say Shalom to the Rebbe, and they asked if they could try it out for Shabbos, etc. He knew who he was dealing with. He says, it's fine. He says, two things. He says, I don't want any screaming, and also no patching, no clapping. Sometimes in their fervor, they would be like clapping their hands in the middle of davening. That did not go in Rizhin. Okay, before we get back to the rest of the story, let's open the parentheses for the quick story as to why the Rizhner really didn't like the hand clapping, which has to do with what we said here. He says, why don't I like the hand clapping? He says, because once in my life I heard what he called an emesipach, a real clap. I was traveling, I was in a certain town, and there was a Jew who was in big trouble. This Jew was a thief, and he used to do different small-time thievery. But then he was tempted and he made a big mistake. He broke into a Russian Orthodox church and he stole an icon. Right? They have these fancy things with lots of jewels on them. And worse than that, he was caught. Okay, so he was taken and he was given the choice. They say, that's it. They tied him up to the pyre, to the wood. And they said, 
you do have a chance. You want to convert to Christianity? You're a free man. And he said that he clapped his hands and he said, Taka Eganev, it's true I'm a thief, but I'm a Jew. Burn me. He said, when I heard that clap, all of the claps ring false to me. It grates on me. Anyways, so just to finish the story of this Trilisker Hasidim, this, I heard this story from Rav Tzvi Lau, uh, youngest son of the chief rabbi, of Yisrael Meir Lau. He said that they went to Shul, they behaved themselves pretty well Friday night, it wasn't easy. Shabbos morning, there are certain points where in that davening, the screaming really goes. Baruch She'amar is one of those. They kind of like lean back and put everything into it. So the Gabbai was waiting and looking for them. He saw them just starting to wind up and he was like, he pointed, no! So they, they, they nodded their head, okay. Ashrei, they wanted to scream every line of Ashrei, you know, no. Ozyoshir is also a big one, right? And he was trying to stop them. The tension built up, though, by the time it came to Nishmas, which is where they scream the most, it all came up. Pandemonium, right? Women crying, children fainting, or vice versa or something. It was, it was a disaster, right? And uh, so after Shabbos, they came to the Rishon Rebbe. They came with heads bowed to ask forgiveness. And he said, you know what? He says... I said, I don't like screaming, I don't like hand clapping, but people who aren't clapping their hands, but their hands clap, I can deal with. I mean, that came from the inside, that came deep. That same power of O Yehudi od Saluv, that says, I am who I am and I will not be another, can also express itself in that joy and love in those types of things. So these are the aspects that are there in the building of the Mishkan. And that's how the Mishkan is a place of our avoda. It's a place that's built with those two aspects of avoda. It's a place that transmits those two aspects of avoda. And right, the famous song based on the words of the Baal Sefer Haredim, Bilvavi Mishkan Evne, we all construct a Mishkan. And we have to follow all these things, right, from shampooing the goats, right, to doing all the other things and imbuing them with the power we have. And hopefully when we build our Mishkan, will be Zoha to the rebuilding of the third base of English. Have a wonderful evening, wonderful Shabbos. Myrav in moments.